Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hello again. Welcome to a long-awaited edition of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast with your host, Matt Minnick, and joined by Michael Rogner. I know there's been some interest on the, on the boards, the social media. When are we going to do another one? I don't know what to say. Life's been crazy. It's gotten in the way. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's frankly, it's nice to know that we're loved. I, I feel like it, if this was some sort of sadistic game that we played, it, it's nice to know that people uh, missed us a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I, I certainly, I'll, I'll take it that way. I'll assume that they miss us and that they, they want to hear the, the brilliant things that are going to come up in the next hour. So I guess I'll just I'll roll with that and see where that leads. I, people, people miss hearing from, from the big guy out West in California. That's what it's, what it boils down to. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spread that to my wife, see what she thinks. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, nonetheless, it has been a little moment since you and I have been able to coordinate our schedules uh, between basketball games to actually get on here and talk. It's been an interesting, uh, I, it's probably been really the month of January, and it's been an interesting month. Uh, it's, it's one that I, I was in attendance at a, at a fantastic basketball game, just great college basketball game and atmosphere against Duke. Always uh, nice to to send Coach K out uh, back back home to Tobacco Road as a loser, particularly the last time he's ever going to visit the Tallahassee Civic Center that he so much has despised over the years. And it's been evident in his comments going back to when it used to smell. He said like uh, elephant dung or whatnot when we used to have the circus in in the Civic Center. Um, so we've had some nice moments, but and I guess a little recap. Florida State was on the brink. We played Wake Forest in Winston-Salem and got dump trucked uh, by what turns out to be a pretty good Wake Forest team. 
the season looked like, how are we even going to pass? Not that we can't finish 500, but just, we don't have any way to get good wins. We came back from that game, uh, rattled off six straight wins, uh, two of which were quad one wins at Miami and uh, home against Duke, both by a single point. And then uh, to come full circle, we just went up to Atlanta, which Josh Pastner has certainly had Leonard Hamilton's number lately and got dump trucked again in what is probably the worst loss of the season. Uh, so that's where we stand. Michael, what, I don't know, were we playing better when we won six straight or were we playing, were we just winning? Were we just, I don't know, having the ball bounce our way. If you, if you look at the computer numbers, then we probably weren't playing better. We went from, we were 41st before the COVID break at uh, Ken Palm. And then after the winning streak, we were 53rd. So either we weren't playing that much better or the rest of the country was really picking it up. We had the, uh, you know, Louisville was a good win at home. Miami, we barely beat them. And we were like seven or eight point favorites. Uh, Syracuse is no big deal. The Duke was obviously a very good win. North Florida was was embarrassing that it was that close. And then Miami, the second half of that game was was, you know, obviously a nightmare. But we we were able to squeak it out. And you know, so from my perspective, what I've seen, you know, kind of the eye test test matches the computer numbers. You know, our, our offense is just struggling. Our defense is is you know questionable at, at, at best. And if you kind of go back and examine that whole period, so the whole month of January, you know, what happened at the beginning is Malik Osborne got hurt. And since then we have just not been the same team and there's probably lots of reasons for that. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned going back and examining since the month of January, I, I happened to do that before this podcast. Uh, if, if you caught a little bit of what I was saying on the Seminole Rap Edition that came out, I think on Friday morning, um, it, this was in there, but maybe to expand on it a little bit here for our diehard Hoops fans. So Bart Torvik, which is a free version of Ken Palm and does a little bit different, a lot of the same, also uh, can has the ability to break it down by dates, when you look at Florida State's performance for, let's say, the beginning of the season up until December 31st, uh, Florida State was six and four. It featured, um, you know, it featured losses. I mean, like cr- got crushed by Purdue, beat pretty badly by Florida, which, by the way, are both pretty good teams. Purdue's the best team was played all year, as well as close losses to Syracuse and South Carolina, close losses that maybe in our winning streak turned into close wins. Um, we were 40th though, in that stretch of basketball, we were playing like the 40th best team and our defense, our defense was the 23rd best defense in the country. We were hanging our hat on, you know, we weren't, we were struggling in the half court, but we were figuring out ways to defend and create havoc. And when we turn teams over, which we do well, we were, we were blowing teams out. Like we did Missouri. Well, It's funny that when you run the same report, but for the month of January, so not factoring in any of the first losses to Purdue and South Carolina and all that, Florida State's record is seven and two, but we're performing at the 86th best level, not the 40th, 
not even the 50th or the 60th, the 86th for the month of January. And that's largely because our defense with a hobbled Malik Osborne is now for the month of January, 105th in the country. And, and just to put it in a little more perspective, the team that is playing at the 85th best level for the month of January, Northwestern, they have gone one and seven <laughs> since January 1st. Florida State has gone seven and two, and according to the metrics, has played a touch worse. <laughs> yeah, and and so one, it's a good thing we're not in the Big Ten or the Big 12. We'd, we'd probably be looking up at a lot of teams. But a, another way that we should probably look at that is that, you know, we went through the six-game winning streak, which is great, you know, for, for fans. You obviously want your team to win. I enjoyed the wins as much as anybody. It's that next next step of translating what do those six wins mean you know in terms of, of future games and I think a lot of people sort of assumed that we would just beat Georgia Tech because we would because we're a better team and we had, we're coming off six wins and we're at the top of the ACC and they're at the bottom of the ACC um, and so I think fans need to just kind of readjust their perspective you know celebrate those wins celebrate the win streak but realize that you know that this team is going to have some head scratchers from here to, you know, to the beginning of March. And it's, that's just the way it is. That's, that's who this team is at this point. I feel like there was, you know, I am not anybody that is searching for Matt Minnick on Twitter is going to be disappointed in what they find. Uh, You may be able to find a a certain uh, lovable, fluffy golden doodle on Instagram, but you're not going to find much about Matt Minnick. Um, But I have paid attention to some of the Twitterverse and I feel like you were trying to say this a few, like a week or two ago and, and kind of arguing is a strong word, but pointing out to people that look, nobody is saying that wins are bad. Of course, beating Miami twice by any margin is fantastic. And, you know, beating Louisville, which at that point hadn't truly quit on its coach yet and fired uh, Chris Mack, interesting development up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, that's a, that's a solid win. I think it was their first loss in ACC play uh, that, that win for Florida state first loss Louisville. But when you're, what was really happening is, is unlike maybe some of the earlier games, they, they, they were finding ways to get a win down the stretch. Raekwon Evans in particular was finding ways to make winning plays in crunch time, but they weren't playing all that different from the team that lost to Syracuse at home. Uh, maybe they're playing worse than the team that lost to Syracuse at home. They might've made a few more shots. They might've gotten to the free throw line with 0.8 seconds to go against Miami, but they weren't, they weren't playing all that different. And, you know, you ask, well, how, sure. Wins are nice for a resume. Having a quad one win over Duke is a fact. And that is a, not a fact that can be taken away, but Beating North Florida by 13 is not going to help your advanced metrics. Losing to Georgia Tech by 14 when you were favored by six is going to destroy your advanced metrics. Like there, there, some at some point there comes a time, and just because you're winning games doesn't mean you're playing great basketball. Yeah, and people have have chosen to kind of, or a certain subset of fans have chosen to ignore those advanced metrics and. And a certain subset of coaches, I should point out, do that too. Uh, but the reality is, if you look at the net rankings, you know, which which they use on all those spreadsheets that the committee is using to pick the teams, 
the at the end of the season the net rankings look pretty close to the you know the rest of the computer rankings and you know so so the the, the way that you look uh, to the computers or to or to people doing you know a little more sophisticated analysis is important and people need to understand that and you, you can't just blow it off and say oh it's just the computers you know all the, all that matters is wins and losses no that's not that's not true beating north florida as you mentioned at home by 13 is bad you know being in a one point game with boston university is bad those are both wins and they and they they, they count as wins but it is not doing anything for our perception um, on the national level to to people who will actually watch those games or to the computers that you know are crunching the numbers on every single game every night. Yeah, and it's interesting because if we were if we were in the running, if 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 we were I don't know seventeen and three or something like that, and we were in the running for a, a two or a three seed, the conversation we'd be having is is our profile are we going to lose a seed, right? Are we going to be a three seed instead of a two seed because of our profile? So it still has an impact regardless of, of where you are as a team. But I think that it is most noticeable on the bubble because at that point you're talking about making the tournament or not making the tournament. And it doesn't matter I, as, as a human with, with perspective, I can understand that coming out of a, a, you know, holiday time period, maybe like the Boston University, there's no, no students in the fan, in the stands and people are tired and want to go home and see their families. And you're trying to build depth for future uh, portions of the season. And there's no need to play starters, you know, more than 15 or 20 minutes. Like I can understand all those factors. And some of them are true. And none of that changes the fact that a one point win against a team like Boston University is going to hurt your computer metrics. And the reality is, is that the people making selections on who goes to the tournament is they are relying and actually using those advanced metrics to make the selection. I can disagree with my performance evaluation from my manager. That doesn't change what the performance evaluation is being based on. I can, I can pitch a fit. I can disagree with it all I want from a philosophical perspective. And yet my, at the end of the year, my performance is going to be graded on a certain metric and, and whether or not Florida state makes it to the tournament or whether or not Duke is a one seed versus a two seed is going to be heavily influenced by what things like the net rankings say. Yeah. And you, you had mentioned Twitter earlier. I'm, I'm always making these arguments on Twitter and, and, you know, sometimes I'm kind of jealous of you and not having it, you know, not really having any presence on Twitter. So maybe I'll just, I'll tweet pictures of my dog for the rest of the year so we can kind of avoid the, any more of these arguments with, with sour people on, on the, yeah. the social medias. To be fair, it is confusing. I mean, the NCA won't even release how they measure. We're guessing at how they measure the net. I hear a lot of people say things like, oh, well, margin of victory is capped at 10 or no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Sure. A margin of victory. The NCAA doesn't want to come out and say that they're incentivizing teams like Arizona to go out and curb stomp some team like Cal State Fullerton. But the fact is, is that they're using efficiency based metrics and anything that's using per possession efficiencies, which is what they're what, what they're using. They're taking offensive efficiency minus the defensive efficiency and calculating the difference. Beating a team in a 70 possession game by 30 is going to mean more to the computers by beating them than beating them in a 70 possession game by 10. It just is. So it's not capped margin of victory matters. And beyond that, 
it doesn't even like you have two separate entities here. You have the what's your own net ranking and then what are your quad wins, which is more of like the strength of the wins that you have. Beating a quad or losing to a quad one team by one point, losing to the best team in the country by one point would actually increase your own net ranking because you outperformed expectations. It's not going to help you in your strength of record. By the same token, beating a quad four team by 40 isn't going to really do much for your resume. No one's going to look at a quad four win and say, oh, neat, they beat North Florida. But that is helping your own net ranking. And so you've got two different sort of systems that you're trying to keep track of, and they don't necessarily directly correlate uh, the other. Yeah, when we blew out like Loyola Marymount, we really improved our computer numbers, you know, but that's one of those wins that you're talking about that, you know, it's not going to move the needle. The committee is not going to say, great, they should get in the tournament because they beat mm -hmm. Loyola Marymount, but they might say because their net ranking is higher because yeah. of beating Loyola mm -hmm. Marymount by 35. Yeah, and yeah. it's frustrating. I get it from a fan's perspective. All this, the the way that the NCAA chooses teams for the tournament is confusing and it's not transparent. And, you know, I can't even imagine the frustration that coaches feel that are on the bubble. You know, how do you, how do you best present a resume that, that – get you into the tournament but you know at, at the same time like you know I'm, I'm just kind of tired of talking about it with people so um i i will continue to do so just because i am a sucker for punishment but but you know it, it's there's a lot out there that people can read and and research and including some stuff on tomahawk nation so hopefully you know slowly people will become more uh, aware of how these things work and how and how they're chosen and and, and yeah we can move on we, we can move on I, I to sum it all up i think this is to, i don't know whether it's the lunacy or just the i don't know but to sum it up the other night missouri lost to auburn by one their net ranking went from like 170 to 140 i'm i'm guesstimating numbers i mean they moved up precipitously on their net ranking because they only lost to Auburn by one. And because of that, Florida State's win again, now it didn't necessarily move our net ranking, but you get a different level of a quad win. Mm -hmm. You know, if Missouri makes it all the way into the top 100, all, all of a sudden it's a, it's a quad two win because we played on a neutral court. And so that's the level of sort of like, if this, if this, then that kind of thing, but it really, yes, for anyone listening, it really does matter how much you lose by or how much you win by losing to Georgia tech by one would have been significantly different than beating, than losing to Georgia tech by 14. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we can, we can move on. Um, let me, let me ask you, let's talk about actual basketball. So back before the, the madness of the net conversation, we said that, you know, Florida state's defense has struggled since in the month of January and despite getting wins, we have looked like at best an average team on the court uh, in terms of the metrics. And, and you're kind of, I think I heard you say that like a key turning point in the season, it might've been Malik Osborne hurting his ankle against NC state. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the key to Osborne, everybody, everybody will say, oh, he's a role player. He's, you know, missing shots or he's not doing that much on the whatever. You know, he is the key to Florida State going small on defense. And Leonard Hamilton often will go small for, you know, about the final 15 minutes of the game. 
with without having him out there uh, uh, healthy, then our our defense is just you know fall, falling apart. And if you if you look at you know sort of the first half defense when we have when we traditionally play you know McLeod and and luckily Ingum's coming back and you know some some of the bigger guys when because we switch one through five, when those guys are out there, our defense is just getting torched, you know, it's getting lit up. And that's why, Ham- that's why Hamilton goes small for the final 15 minutes of the game. Cause he recognizes that and he wants his best players on the floor, you know, during, during that crunch time. And, and so that's really, I think the, the big, uh, uh, you know, take home from Malik's injury is just our defense is not going to be very good as long as, as long as he's hobbled and without completely changing the system, you know, I just don't see what the what the solution might be. There's no one else on the roster who who kind of fits his mold. You know, John Butler, if he were 30 pounds heavier, could could probably do it. But you know, at this at this point, Malik is unique on our roster, and we absolutely need him to be healthy. And at the same time, we have to look forward to the rest of the schedule, knowing that he 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 may not be healthy for the for the rest of the year. He may not even, you know, he may not even play that much for the rest of the year. So yeah, breaking news. I mean, actually there was just a report, uh, I think Kurt put something out from the Tallahassee of Democrats saying that he's um cons- that there is a possibility of him having season ending surgery. So um that that has been reported in the news out there, which if you've watched any of Florida State games, you could understand why the guy can't even dunk right now. Like he catches, he gets in position, catches balls, and like can't even get to the rim, uh, let alone try and try and switch out on the perimeter onto a, you know a guard or something like that. I, I don't know, man. It seems like a total rock and a hard place here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I hate. I like Malik as a person is a phenomenal individual. Anyone been around Florida State knows the kind of leadership he's provided on campus with a lot of uh, diversity and equity issues. Uh, he, he is a great guy, great leader, great in the locker room right now. He's not a very good basketball player right now. That's not because of the injury, but at the same time, if he were to shut it down, who replaces it? Like, do you, do you want a guy who's hobbled and just a shell of himself? Do you hope that maybe like a Matt Cleveland at least has length that he could step up and maybe give some of that small ballness to, or, Cameron Fletcher is pretty physical. Maybe he could do, I, I, I don't even know right now where, where the coaching staff would begin. Yeah. I, I kind of had some hope. I think it was the, uh, might've been the Syracuse game where, you know, we, we brought in Harrison Prieto and we stopped switching one through five, you know, mm. we were, he was, he was hard hedging and, um, the Syracuse you know, we were, win, right? The Syracuse win. Syracuse? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that, that's Syracuse. And, you know, the rest of the team was, you know, still switching one through four. And I, and I, and I thought maybe that Hamilton was making that switch and we'd start seeing McLeod and Ingum, you know, staying with the bigs and we'd be switching everything else. But, you know, since then we're, we've gone back to switching one through five and, and without Osborne, I just don't see how that's is sustainable as a defense. You know, we, we, we've got some bigs who really can't, guard smaller guys maybe they will be able to do it in the future but they can't do it now and and osborne is was the one guy with the lateral quickness to be able to do that yeah yeah really makes you makes you wish raekwon gray was (laughs) was on this basketball team uh as crazy it might sound i feel like adding raekwon gray would be a better difference maker right now than versus adding a scotty barnes despite uh how how strong of a rookie year scotty barnes is having in the nba uh it it 
I don't know. It, it as someone who in a previous life, I spent time being a, an assistant basketball coach and it's, you know, do you totally chain? You're building, you're building a program. You're not building for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So do you, you, you're expecting guys like John Butler and Caleb Mills and others to be in your program. Do you build, do you scrap everything you're trying to teach them about the principles of your defense for six weeks to try to see if you can maybe defend teams a little bit differently or, or do you just try to put someone else in there who's not ready for mm-hmm. it and, and say, well, time to learn on the job. I, these, these are questions why I'm not paid a million dollars to answer them. I, they're obviously very difficult questions. And I think if it is true that Malik is, if he were to shut down the season and, and have that surgery, I think it would be time for fans to significantly readjust their expectations. Yeah. And for, for folks who think that we should just, I get, I get a lot of questions like, why don't we just play zone? You know, and it's, it's, there's six new faces on the roster. There's very limited practice time. Like how much has this team even practiced a zone, you know, aside from the green team, you know, cause they have to, cause they have to be the scout for, for other teams. Um, but you know, you've got six new faces. They're still learning the base defense. So any, any tweaks that we're going to see down the stretch, I think are probably going to be pretty minor. I mean, you never want to count Leonard, Leonard Hamilton out when it comes to, to, uh, making adjustments on defense, but my my hunch is that any change we see is going to be pretty minor, and and we'll certainly see nothing like you know going to a zone or to, to, to stop switching. And what value is that? So so now so now a guy like Jalen Worley loses out on several months mm-hmm. of experience in the defensive system. We want him to learn for next year, so that we can I don't know run a zone for seven possessions against NC State. Like I I just don't know. You know, in the NBA, you get the perspective of saying, look, we're going to draft, we're going to shut it, we're going to trade a guy who's on an expiring contract, we're going to um, get a get a lottery pick for in, in compensation for the trade, we're going to get our own top three pick with the with the lottery, and let's just plan for next year, you, you got to, it's a little different, but you got to take a similar perspective in basketball, like you're not, you're not game planning for one week, right, you're, you're trying to develop, play. how do you get Terrence Manns and Trent Forrest to, to become, to develop in a system. Well, you do it the right way and you take it one, one year at a time. So I don't know. What about speaking of next year and planning for next year, we can't get Raekwon Gray back. That's, that's a fact. Do we have reinforcements? And you know, there's a chance that Malik Osborne could come back. Let's just put that on the table. Malik Osborne has a COVID year to use if he were to choose to do that as a 24 year old. He, by all accounts, is a great student athlete, so he could do that. Do we have any other recruits that can come in and provide some immediate like here's a guy that fills a role on the team. Like Here's a guy that immediately steps in and fills a role. Yeah, I think that was the, the the great strength of this incoming class is that looking at the way that we play and the philosophy, like they all fit in in a, in a, in a very specific way. Maybe not Bembry. I, I'm still kind of – I think the jury's out on him on exactly how he's going to be utilized at Florida State. Um, Deontay Green and Cam Corhan certainly have the, the size 
uh, and skill to begin to replace Osborne if, if, if he's not back. Unfortunately, Deontay Green just tore his ACL. Um, it was his ACL, right? Not his MCL. It was his ACL. Yeah. Nice little fun update there from, from a guy who was having a tremendous senior mm-hmm. year, by the way. Just, I mean, he was participating in some events that had high-caliber players and putting up 30 and 10 type of stat lines. So that was a bummer. Yeah, right now I think he's the highest rated three star. So he's like right on the on the border of three and four star. And considering the season that he was having, it was you know pretty clear that he's a four star player. Um, Cameron Corhan, who who plays alongside uh, uh, the Kansas recruit Grady Dick, who kind of takes all the shots for his team, but they're they're the number one or two team in, in the country. Um, and Corhan gets some serious minutes, and he's so he's been able to kind of show off his ability to to stretch a defense and shoot from the perimeter. Um, he, he, he's, he's got the body to kind of bang down low, but he doesn't do it that often. Um, he's got, he's got a little bit of athleticism, so he should, he should be fine, you know, like catching, catching, catching lobs. lobs and, and yeah, rim running. Yeah. Doing all that kind of stuff. It, it, but, you know, with, with all Hamilton freshmen, it comes down to, you know, who learns the defense and who really doesn't have somebody in front of him who, who fills that role. So depending on how green, if he's able to do work out in the off season, um, you know, maybe Corhan is that guy to really come in and, and, and step up and provide major minutes. And then I think I'm, I'm higher on Chandler Jackson and Tom house than most people. I think Chandler Jackson is just going to be a stud and he's, he's, he provides something that we often don't have. And a player who often gives us trouble, which is like that, you know, serial killer mentality guy going downhill, just constantly attacking the rim. Um, and Chandler Jackson is the, is that guy and Tom house who he, you know, he, he's a swimmer. He hasn't been playing basketball very long at all. And he can just shoot lights out and he, he might not be the, the athletic specimen that we were used to, like, you know, going between his legs and Duncan, but you know, he's, he's got plenty of athleticism, you know, to be an ACC player anyway. And he, I think he's going to step in and immediately be one of the best shooters on the team, assuming that that his shot kind of transfers from from high school to college. Yeah, and that's never a sure thing. Uh, it was a question mark I had with Bryce McGowan's last year, and and wrote it in an article, and and then Bryce McGowan's ended up going to Nebraska, who's horrible by the way. And and Bryce McGowan's has had some game. He's been inconsistent as a shooter. He's been fantastic from the free throw line, and that alone will probably get him drafted uh, with the tran- with how that transfers over. But uh, you know, so it's not a sure thing in terms of efficiency from the perimeter. I, I will say that just watching Tom House shoot, I've watched several condensed games of his high school. He, he plays for a, a, a very well-regarded high school. There's a kid, uh, Gabe Cups, on it that I think is headed to Indiana. He's legit point guard. That, that kid is talented. Uh, and so they – I mean, you can find film of him, and his shot is technically extremely impressive he he gets it at a high release point it's it's a quick snap of the wrist it's not going to be blocked very often and he's splashing nets more often than not so i would like to think that it translates and interestingly enough the high school runs a very similar defense it's a switching defense that you know hard to judge athleticism from a video of high school kids but you can see him understanding the principles of a switching defense uh, more quickly than maybe most Florida State freshmen. 
And he is a physical guy. Like he does have a well-built frame. So I actually think, look, if you stick that kid in a corner and he goes two for five from three per game and can give you 10 minutes of switching on the perimeter, maybe he does have an immediate role. And I'm all about, I'm 100% with you with Chandler Jackson. I, I feel like it's like if you took some of the mentality of Trent Forrest and put it in maybe the body of like a Tony Douglas. I, I don't know. I'm, it, it, he has more athleticism. He, he, he could be a strong fit for a Leonard Hamilton junkyard dog mentality uh, on, on both sides of the ball. So I'm excited about him as far as replacing Malik Osborne. Well, I hope Malik Osborne comes back. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about all I have to say yeah. there. I hope Malik Osborne comes back. Uh, okay. Let's take a break. Uh, we're going to, we're going to take a break and then we come back. We'll look at, um, so we have 13 games left in the season. None of the Chandler Jacksons or the Tom houses or the Cameron Corhens are, are here yet. So what do we have for the rest of, uh, for the rest of, of these games? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome back. We paid some bills, reflected on the madness that is the NCAA tournament net ranking system and, and their lack of transparency with it. Uh, let's, let's look, though, at we've got the roster that we have. It does seem like Naheem McLeod has been making strides, at least from an offensive, like being able to go and get his own, get the ball and dunk it, right? Go and grab rebounds and dunk it. We've seen maybe a sign that Anthony Polite is breaking out a little of an extended shooting funk. Uh, Caleb Mills seems to have good games and bad games when he's on. He's fantastic when he's not. I'd like to see him find other ways to impact the game besides shooting. Uh, Raekwon Evans has obviously carried us at times this year. And, and then you've got a lot of the first year, the, the Fletchers, the Butlers, the Clevelands, the Worleys that all look like people who are playing their first year of basketball up and down. What, what, do, what do you think about forgetting the names on the schedule for a second? I don't know. Are you looking for anything for the next six weeks of this, of the season? Well, I do like that, that in that cluster, that was the Georgia tech game. Uh, polite went three for three for three from deep. That was, you know, some, some, some maybe seeing some shots go down in an actual game will allow him to, to uh, fix his broken shot, which is obviously not mechanical, you know, it's all in his head. So mm -hmm. maybe, maybe he'll get there, but I am, I am a big fan of, you know, going back to the Tony Douglas days and let's just give the ball to Caleb Mills and see what happens. I think, I think that's the, the most efficient offense at times is just, just give him the ball, get out of the way. And his assist rate would be higher if, if we were actually knocking down shots from three, because I think he, he's been pretty good at setting up guys from three. He's been pretty bad at that uh, interior passing. He tends to turn the ball over a little bit on interior passes, but when he can drive and kick, he's, he's, pre he's pretty effective. And then we've obviously seen his creativity, you know, scoring and his dependability at the, at the free throw line. He might end up as the, 
the highest single season free throw percentage ever at Florida State. So, you know, he, he's comfortable with the ball. Let's let him have it. His free throw shooting is is a clear plus, and I agree. Let's get him to the free throw line as early and often as possible. But so if what I'm hearing you say is we could generate offense two ways. One, we could somehow figure out, even without Malik, ways to manufacture turnovers and get out and allow, you know, the Fletchers, the Polites, the Raekwon Evans, the, the Mill to finish in transition. Two, spread the court, give the ball to Caleb, get a shooter in each corner, hopefully make it. Otherwise, either Caleb makes it or crash the offensive glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that that the last point you make there about cr- crash, crashing the glass, put a pin in that for a second. Um, obviously, our transition offense is our strength. So, you know, when, when I'm talking about give, give the ball to Caleb, I'm sp- speaking specifically just in half-court sets. Uh, you know, we, we want to, we want to shoot early and often. And then, um, you know, against Georgia tech, what we saw was, is we, we were doing a good job on the offensive glass. We were doing a terrible job at actually getting shots up, you know, mm-hmm. is just that, that, that one extra pass mentality that, that Leonard Hamilton tries to instill in the group. They haven't quite figured out when the shot is good enough to go ahead and take it as opposed to making that extra pass. And, and that's where we start getting turnover over prone is, is when we start trying to make too many passes and passing up open shots. And that was driving me just bonkers, especially during the, the Georgia tech game where we turned it over, you know, something like 17 times or you know 26% of our possessions. So 26. Yeah. Against a team that doesn't even turn teams over. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, that kind of makes me go back to some of our early podcast days, pre COVID, if you can believe it or not. Uh, but with, with getting some of those frustrations from, from a, every once in a while, a Terrence man or something saying, just, just shoot the ball. We are so good at gr- grabbing offensive rebounds. If I felt like in the second half against Miami in the second game, if, if we just came down and took the first open shot that was available and shot within eight or 10 seconds, we're probably going to make 30% of them and, and grab our offensive rebound on another 30% of them. And, and you, and as we've seen like McLeod underneath off of an offensive rebound is usually uh, going to finish that. I, I agree there. I would love to see us not get so deep in the shot clock that we are, we've already passed up some good shots. I think I'd also, I don't know, maybe it's not Caleb Mills. I think we're missing a lot of lobs too. Like there's been a lot of opportunities this year where I've from the vantage point on court side being like, Oh, they just, they just missed a roll to an easy lob. Like they got to get that. They've got to figure out that, Hey, when defenses are collapsing on you, like with Cleveland in the middle, just toss it up, man, just toss it up to to the big guy, especially with Tenor healthy. I don't know. I, I feel like we're missing that, but Overall, I can't say I disagree too much, uh, you know, and hopefully polite breaking out with a three for three game is a sign of things to come. What about defensively? We talked some about it, but is there someone that you let's say Malik's out? Who would you want to see take some of those minutes? Cam Fletcher seems to be pretty disruptive on defense. I know he plays out of control sometimes, but he certainly generates the turnovers. Matt Cleveland maybe has some length to help uh, Prieto. I mean, is there someone that you'd say get some more defensive minutes? Yeah. I would like to see Fletcher getting a few more minutes. He's, he's, you know, as you mentioned, he's completely out of control and, and he hasn't quite been the same since he got injured, but 
but he has, uh, uh, you know, that mentality that he can guard anybody and, and he's long and he's disruptive. Uh, and he can and, guard anybody. Yeah. Right. And, you know, obviously Cleveland and, and, and Butler and, 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 uh, Worley could, you know, hopefully we'll, they'll continue to learn, but you know, you can never take that for granted, but oddly enough, as much as I scream about him going too deep in the rotation, I think Prieto has, has some games coming up where he could actually be effective, you know, especially if we, if we're not switching them onto, onto smaller guys, he, uh, you know, he, he just kind of understands where he's supposed to be. And he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't break possessions, you know, and, and we see a lot of that when we're trying to go into the post of, you know, it just becomes a, a completely empty possession and you can see it coming from a mile away. And since Prieto isn't really a back to the basket, um, you know, black hole, then it, it enables the offense to maybe be a little more effective sometimes when, when, when he's on the floor, but only against teams that, uh, you know, kind of match that, you know, D2 type uh, BC. Uh, athleticism. Yeah, BC, Pitt. Um, maybe even stretches against Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame. I'd love to see if we played Syracuse again, he was he was pretty effective against them. Mm, yeah, uh, they're but we don't get them. Yeah, but maybe not against North Carolina, you know. No, <laughs> no. Maybe not, maybe not Clemson, but we'll see. Yeah. So you're naming some names here. Why don't we take a look at the actual schedule? And so 13 games left. Uh, we've got we haven't played Clemson yet at all. We have two two with them still. And then we have one either uh, returning matchup like against NC State to close out the season or the uh, and, and wake, I think, in a return game home and then a whole bunch of teams that we just haven't played yet. So what from a we are 13 and six and six and three in in the ACC. I think we fell from first to fifth with the, there's a big jumble there in the middle that quite honestly it's because everybody is equally average or shitty could be the better term. Uh, I kind of feel feel like we need to get a 13 ACC win. So that would be going seven and four over the remaining 11 to feel like going into the ACC tournament. Okay. We could play our way into an NCAA tournament bid. does that resonate with you? Yeah, I think so. And uh, I haven't looked at Torvik, but but Ken Palm has us projected at 12 and 8 in conference. So, you know, really we just need to perform one game above expectations and expectations on the computer side are not particularly high. So the, the, the wins are there. The teams that we play stink outside of Duke. Um, so we should be able to pile up some wins if we're, if we're playing well. But, you know, obviously we kind of covered that with Osborne is – you know, what are the odds of, of, of playing well and consistent down the stretch? Well, we could shoot better. We've only been shooting on the season 34% from three. And, and weirdly enough, it's actually worse at home than it is away. So if we suddenly started shooting 36% from three at home, which is not out of the question with guys like Polite and Butler and Mills, I, I think that would go a long way. Like you said, the teams are shitty. So you tell me that we shoot 36% at home against Pitt. I, I say we're going to win the game. 36 from, from three. I, I don't even know at this point that I could even pinpoint where wins. Like, it just feels like just find seven because if you win at least seven chances are you haven't added too many bad losses. I I guess we could be totally schizo and, and win all the hard ones and lose the easy ones. But I, at this point, 
even Duke doesn't feel unwinnable, but no, no game feels like it's, it's a sure thing. Yeah. I guess the pit at home is the closest thing we have to a sure thing. And, and I, you know, we already uh, lost to Syracuse. <laughs> I know it's this, this team is, 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 uh, it's pretty much the definition of what you get out of a bubble team is, is you win some games and you're like, Hey, we're top 25 team in the country. And then you turn around and just completely lay an egg against a bad team. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is kind of how it goes. Yeah. I just, you know, and you'd like to think in a normal year that 19 and 11 and 12 and eight would get you in, but what does that even mean in the ACC this year? I mean, if, if, Looking at the 11 remaining games, if you start going beyond four, let, let me say that we would lose at Duke and lose at North Carolina and lose, uh, we'll say, at Clemson. None of those losses are going to hurt you. Nothing nothing about those losses, unless you lost by 30, would, would do anything really negative to your resume. And then maybe you would say we lose, I don't know, at home to Notre Dame. They always seem to shoot well against us, and they're, they, they beat Kentucky earlier. So we, we lose at home to Notre Dame. You start beyond that, starting to – like, you can't lose a lot of other games without picking up some really bad losses. That, that You already have three bad losses. And so I don't know that going 12 – I feel like if we went 12 and 8, which means that would be 6 and, what, 5 down the stretch? Or 6 and 3? Yeah. I feel like you'd almost have to go to the ACC championship game, the tournament championship game, mm-hmm. to, have, to feel good about it. To, just to, because if you lose early in the tournament – and you're 12 and eight, that means you probably added another bad loss because you're playing someone like Boston college in the first round. Yeah. And I, 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 I kind of wonder if 13 is really enough if we don't win one in the, in the ACC tournament, depending on what those next seven wins are. But I, I, I would imagine that the way that the math would work out is that you get to 13 wins and there's an, Every other team that's on the bubble mm-hmm. is being talked about the exact same way. The they're all flawed. Being talk- right. They're all heavily flawed. So we let them cannibalize each other. Some of them are going to, are going to lose some games that they really shouldn't and can't afford to lose. And 13 wins will, regardless of where those are, will be, will be enough to get us in. I hope. I would, I would not actually test the theory of winning of go, finishing 13 and, and seven and then losing the first game in the ACC tournament. I would not test that theory out, particularly if we didn't earn a double buy with a 13 and seven, uh, if we, because that means that you could be playing like a 10 seed in the first round mm-hmm. and what, so you lost a pit. Great. That didn't help matters. I do think that winning one game in the ACC tournament, which if you look back, Florida state over the last decade has won at least one game almost every year in the ACC tournament. I, I think winning 13, so winning seven more plus a game in the ACC tournament. And I think we get to root for a team in Dayton in the first four. <laughs> and, and you know what teams come out of Dayton and go to the elite eight all the time. So right. I guess just get there. The The first game up to we'll, we'll wrap this up. We're coming up here in about 45 minutes. The first one in all this uh, that of the, the remaining 13 games is Virginia tech at home. You talk about uh, a team that has is the opposite of Florida State. Virginia Tech is ranked 45th on the net. I just Florida State, by the way, or not on net on Ken Palm. Florida State is 72nd right now at 13 and six. Virginia Tech is 45th, and they are 10 and 10 overall. How does that happen? Well, because their games that they played against shitty teams 
they beat them the way you should beat a shitty team. They beat Maine by 25. They beat Navy by 20. They beat St. Francis by 30. They beat Merrimack by 30. They really haven't done much else other than, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe a home win against Notre Dame. A, a, they, they thrashed St. Bonaventure over, over the holidays. Um, they're, they're coming in on a three-game losing streak. They're two and seven in the ACC. So I guess they're tied with Georgia Tech now for last. They shoot the three ball really, really well. 39% on the season, sixth in the country. They don't do much of else anything well. That's a little scary <laughs> uh, coming into the Tucker Center. So thoughts? <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the last step in him modernizing his his system is taking away threes and right now we're just terrible at it we 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 over um over emphasize taking away paint touches to the detriment of giving up threes and and you know we're about to face georgia tech who shoots 40 percent you know as a team from deep uh and then the other part about virginia tech is that they are almost as slow as virginia like uh, I think Virginia Tech and Virginia are the two teams that force the longest possessions in the nation on defense, and they're both horribly slow on offense. And so it's going to be a very limited possession game. And if they get hot from three, it's just there's not going to be that many possessions left. You know, if we get 10 minutes in the in the second half and we're down, you know, eight, there's just not that many possessions left. And so, uh, you know, it's really imperative that we get out – you know, and, st- and hang with them for the entire game so that, you know, when it does come down to stretch time, we can kind of rely on, on maybe having a little, a mo- little bit more talent than they do. Um, they do have a couple of guys, Justin Mutz, who, you know, who's just um, incredibly tough, tough guy. Um, is is, is going to give us problems, and then Nahima Lean seems to be shooting the ball a little better of late, and you know he he he's creates all kinds of problems, and then they're basically rolling guys off the bench who don't miss from three, and Hunter Couture is like almost a fifty percent shooter. So yeah, they got they got a lot of weapons. I don't understand why they they're not better than they are, um, but you know maybe some of it is in that tempo that we talked about earlier. I'd have to look into that a little more deeply, but. They're they're gonna they're gonna be a handful and and we're currently favored by a point and a half. I'm actually kind of perplexed at how they're ten and ten as well. They haven't played a schedule that's particularly tough. They, I mean, Ken Palm has them almost thirty spots higher than us in terms of just their actual performance on the court. It just goes to show how sometimes just you know one play here and there winning a it can come down to winning a basketball game. They, they haven't made fewer than seven threes in a game since December 22nd in a road game against Duke. They went five of 19 on the road against Duke. They lost that game by 11. They, in, in the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, they had a bit of a long COVID pause. In the seven games since then, the worst they, the worst they shot was seven of 24, but they've had a 13 of 26 game, a 10 for 20 game seven of uh, a 17 game. Most of those games, by the way, are losses. They lost to Miami shooting 13 to 26 from three. They lost, they gave up a late lead and lost on a half court shot. Um, I have to admit that the, the tempo scares me as well. And if I had to give a prediction right now, I, I honestly think the, the losing streak turns to two. I, I just don't, 
if Malik doesn't play, I'm not confident in our rotations in terms of getting to, to shooters. You, you turn the ball over just a few times in a low possession game and, and it, it's just bad news. So I, I, I'm going to go on record in saying Florida state loses by six or seven and Virginia tech shoots something like 11 of 25 from three. I think that a lot of people will write off the season at that point. And I, I really don't know that it matters other than just find a way to get to 13 ACC mm-hmm. wins, which, which there are a whole bunch of bad teams left on the schedule to find a way to get to 13 ACC wins. Yeah. I always kind of want to pick differently from you because, you know, cause it gives the, gives listeners a chance to, oh, I side with Matt or I side with Michael, but I'm going, I'm, I'm sticking with, with you. I think that we, we lose this game, uh, which will make a two game losing streak and probably three at Clemson, but uh, we shall see. Florida State has shown the ability to um, surprise people in both good and bad ways, and maybe maybe they'll be be a little disruptive, more disruptive on defense against Virginia Tech and get them rattled, and and we'll end up you know winning by twelve. But, but right now, I think uh, Virginia Tech is just going to see too many open looks at, at uh, from deep, and they're pretty tough when they're knocking down forty percent or more of their threes. Yeah, I, if. First of all, I thought maybe you were going to pick a win. I, I didn't realize you were going to agree. I, if if someone were to say, "Well, I'd like to," how can we win the game? I think there's a couple couple things that you know could could fall in our favor. They're not a very strong rebounding team from a defensive rebounding standpoint, and they give up close to thirty percent of of offensive rebound uh, a game. So, you know, certainly Florida State do, does what they did against Duke, which is push that number up into the forties, high 30 forties. That that's, that's a difference maker. And especially in a low possession game, you're grabbing 40% of your misses. That's a, that's a significant different maker. And they don't get to the free throw line all that often. Uh, neither do a lot of teams coming into when they play Florida State. And then some that seems to change, but <laughs> the, depending on how the game is called, I could see that be in a favor in, in a favorable situation as well. I don't know. Do, do you think that we could crash the glass on them? I do. And give me the rest from the Duke game for the rest of the year. That was, that was the way that I would like to see college basketball reft. And we would be a much, we would be a better team if we got those refs every night. And so if we're allowed to play really physical against Virginia tech, then, you know, maybe we are able to crash the glass and build up a little bit of a lead. And then their, their tempo suddenly works against them because they have an inability to play fast. And then, mm. you know, we can kind of put them away down the stretch by, you know, letting them hang themselves with slow possessions. Yeah. Yeah. Or if jump balls are not called fouls, that would also right. help yeah. out in, in maybe, maybe a situation or two. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was the Georgia tech game where, uh, a referee who was standing next to a correctly called jump ball was overruled by a referee far away. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to college basketball. Yeah. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I know there's been a lot of people asking, when was this going to happen again? I can't tell you when the next one would be. I, I, Michael, I'm, I'm traveling for some work stuff the next couple of days, but uh, we will make sure that this isn't the last one of the season. And hopefully Hopefully we can have one where we come back on and say, I'm here to eat my crow and Florida state destroyed Virginia tech rocketing back up the net rankings. Uh, well, uh, well I, I look forward to that episode and maybe we should just record it now.
yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get that out of the way. Get that out of the way now. We'll, and we'll record one for saying, see, I told you so. We'll just produce right. that as well. Right. Um, for, for Michael, I'm, I'm Matt signing off. Go Knowles. <laughs>